have you ever been a little bit nervous about something? Ever, ever a little nervous about something? So a guy was in a job interview, and he was in this big, huge conference room. There was you know, several people that were going to be interviewing him that day. And on the conference table, there was a little tray and some glasses and a big old bottle of water. So one of the interviewers said, hey, you know, help yourself if you want some. And so the guy, you know, grabbed the bottle and, and he began to, to reach over and got a glass and he decided to take that bottle and pour himself some water. So when he did, he slightly overfilled the glass. One of the interviewers said, I, I guess you're a little nervous today, huh? The guy very calmly said, no, I'm not nervous at all. I always pour 110% into everything that I do. Pretty sure that guy got that job. Now, Count Von Count would tell us that there is no such thing as 110%, right? Okay, The most that a person can actually give is 100%. 100% is, is the maximum. I knew a guy in college that would give 100% to his schoolwork. He'd give 10% on Monday, 25% on Tuesday, 50% on Wednesday, 20% on Thursday, and then 5% on Friday. He gave it 100%. So who do you know that gives things 100%? Who is that person that you can count on, that person that you can turn to for, for just about anything? You got their name, their, their face in your mind, that, that person that, that's a 100% person to you. All right, now here's a question for that person that you're thinking of. Has that person perfectly always done exactly what they said they were going to do? Perfectly always done exactly what they planned to do? Meaning, they never got sick and had to miss school. Meaning, there was never a death in the family and they had to miss work. Meaning, that they never had car trouble and they missed practice. Meaning, they never made below a 90, not even on their lipid test. Meaning, that this person is somebody that never went into the store and picked up Allegra instead of Claritin by accident. This person never put paprika instead of chili powder in the chili. They never overcooked the bread pudding, and they never undercooked the hamburgers. They never, 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 never failed. Look, no matter how wonderful and faithful and 100 percentish that person is that you're thinking of, they are not reliable 100% of the time because it's not possible. Nobody can be. Nobody can be 100% faithful 100% of the time. So what? Why does that matter? Well, it matters because... How about that? I'm like really behind on my slides. That was supposed to go with a guy who was lazy. That's two weeks in a row I had a sloth picture and I missed it. All right, so now we're up on pictures. Here's why it matters. It matters because your future needs to be with somebody that's 100%. The hope that your soul needs for life and the hope that your soul needs for death is not going to be found in a better grade at school or a win on the field or the right results after an election or the right results from a doctor's visit. 
The hope that your soul needs for life and death has to come from something that is 100% faithful, 100% reliable, 100% of the time. So, is there anything like that? Yes, there is. Prophet Jeremiah is going to tell us about it. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. Jeremiah says this, Great is your faithfulness. By general revelation, by special revelation, by personal revelation, by personal experience, by personal testimonies from from more than a million people, Jeremiah is proclaiming that the faithfulness of the one true, holy, majestic, sovereign God, Jehovah, is 100% faithful. 100% reliable, 100% of the time. In other words, the hope of your future is completely wrapped up in God. The hope that your soul needs for life and the hope that your soul needs for death is completely wrapped up in God. God, the one true God. The science teacher that you depend on in high school will not follow you and be your teacher all through college. The doctor that you depend on for your medical care is going to retire. He'll go to a high school and and be a tutor, maybe. Your mechanic might close shop, might go buy a, a boat and start being a fishing guide somewhere. Your hair care professional might hang up her scissors and go be with her kids full-time at home or, or maybe go be a nanny to her grandkids. Your favorite candidate may get elected, but they may not get re-elected or they may not get elected to begin with. In other words, every single person in our life, in some way, shape, or form, cannot be perfect 100% of the time. We can't depend on the people in life. Now, that sounds kind of bad. Well, I mean, you're supposed to be able to depend on people. I'm not saying don't depend on people, but we're talking about the life of your soul and the need of your soul at death. And so for those things, the ultimate reality is we have to remember that things can change with every single person that we depend on. And for some reason, we, we kind of live in this fog of kind of pushing against the fact that every person that has ever lived and every person that will ever live will die. And so we cannot put our total confidence in people. So just a very simple question for you, backing up to what we said at the very beginning, where is the hope of your future? What are you setting your hope on in the future? Not for the next 25 years, but for the next 25,000 years. Where is your hope for the next 25,000 years being set today? C.S. Lewis was talking about the Lord of the Rings, the book written, series really written by his friend J.R. Tolkien, and he said this, I've never met orcs or ents or elves, but the feel of it. The sense of a huge past, of lowering danger, of heroic task achieved by the most apparently unheroic people. Of distance, vastness, strangeness, homeliness all blended together is so exactly what living feels like 
to me. There's a reason the hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years. It's a fear that, that we as a culture, we as a people, particularly even as believers, that we've become so obsessed with this year, or the next four years, or the next 25 years, that we are numbing ourselves to the reality of eternity. That there is an eternal God that has called us to an eternal life. We are forgetting, we're losing the feeling of a huge past and a lowering danger and an unlikely hero that has made a way for our souls to be right in life and our souls to be right in death, our souls to be satisfied in life and our souls to be satisfied in death. God is the one that brings that satisfaction about because he's faithful. But how do we know that? How do we know God is faithful? We sang these words just a few moments ago, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. What does it mean to be pardoned? It means that you are having an offense, an, an error, a mistake forgiven. It means that the just and right penalty and guilt of something is being removed. You're being set free from that. To be pardoned is one of the greatest things in the universe. See, in the grand economy of the universe, there is this one desire that all people have, and it's this desire for justice to be served. We want justice to be served. We don't want someone to get away with murder. We don't want someone to get away with, with child abuse. We don't want someone to get away with, with tax fraud or, or voter fraud or, or anything else, a thousand other things. We, we want justice to be served until justice kind of comes and rings our doorbell. Then we want mercy. We don't want to be held accountable for taking those pins from work. <laughs> we don't. We don't want to be held accountable for being late for dinner. We don't want to be held accountable for, for being overbearing with our spouse. We don't want to be held accountable for being overbearing with our kids. We don't want to be held accountable for posting and reposting things about elected officials that pretty consistently always go against the entirety of Ephesians chapter 4. We don't want to be held accountable. We want mercy. We don't want justice. But again, in the economy of the universe, one thing is true. For all people, justice will be served to everyone. And so the question is, which justice will you be served? See, ultimately, justice comes down to really just two categories, life and death. So which category will you be served? Which justice will you be served? And just to be clear, the Bible does not describe death as, hey, you just die and that's it and, and there's nothing else. The Bible describes death as eternal, everlasting death. The kind of death that never ends. The kind of pain and horror that your soul never stops feeling. That's the language of the Bible. And so is death the justice that you will be served? Is that, is that your destiny, so to speak? Or will you receive the other type of justice, life? And, and where do you get this life? This is what Jesus said one day, For God so loved the world that he gave his only 
begotten Son. That whoever believes in that Son will not perish or come to destruction, but rather will have eternal, everlasting life. The life of eternity, everlasting life, can only be found, can only be obtained through Jesus. There is no other way. You can search the whole world over, but you're not going to find it. So, if you are putting your 100% in anything or anyone else, we would plead with you today to stop, turn to Jesus, be saved, be free, be satisfied. How do we know the faithfulness of God is real? How do we know that it's great? How do we know that only God is 100% faithful 100% of the time? Well, you can pick up the Bible and, and read through the fantastic journey of the Old Testament. And you'll see time and time again where God was faithful to his people. And he was faithful to his people over and over again for, for more than 3,000 years. And then you can walk through the, the fantastic journey of the New Testament. And you can see these amazing things that God was doing in this one moment in time. And the patterns of what he did in that moment have proved his faithfulness over the last 2,000 God is faithful. He's faithful. And he's not just faithful. His faithfulness is great. But for all that we may read about God and his people in the Old Testament, for all the stories we may read about the church in the New Testament, if we were to try to say the most defining reflection of the faithfulness of God, we would have to say that it's what we sang a few moments ago. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. In other words, the most defining mark of the greatness and the faithfulness of God is what he has done and what he is doing in and through Jesus the Christ. The prophet Micah said this, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? The answer to that question is nobody. Nobody. No one at work. No one at school. No one at your house. No one at the church house. No one at the state house. No one at the White House. No one in the Supreme Court pardons sin and forgives and rescues like God. No one. And why? Micah tells us, next part of the verse, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. God delights in unchanging love. Unchanging love. Look, just take a casual look at the people that you love and the people that love you. Just, just kind of you know, take a, a quick little picture of the people you love and the people that love you. And just look over this past week. Has the love amongst all those people been perfect and unchanging? Let me just go ahead and say the only honest answer is, is no. It, it hasn't been. But God's love is perfect. It's unchanging. And God takes his unchanging love, and one of the things he does is he pardons sin. He forgives sin. He gives peace that endures far beyond elections and graduations and retirements. 
far beyond protests and wars, far beyond peace treaties, even far beyond death. The unchanging love of God is so powerful because only God is self-existent. That's why we are not perfectly reliable. We are not perfectly faithful. Some of us are so full of pride. We think we are. We are. And and we would even hope that people at our funeral would say, man, you could always count on Dow. He was 100%. No, he wasn't. Never. Because we're not. We can't be, but God is. He's self-existent. And because he's self-existent, he is perfectly faithful, perfectly reliable, 100% all the time. Nothing can change that. And his faithfulness is most beautifully seen in that he sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to to open the doors of heaven for you. That's the faithfulness of God. Jesus is the only hero that can rescue you from lowering danger and give you eternal everlasting life. He's the only one that can rescue you from death. So, if you are not a Christian, please know this, God never stops inviting you to come and be saved, to come and be free, to come and have what your soul longs for the most. He is inviting you right now. And if you are a Christian, then whatever impossible thing you're in the middle of right now, whatever frustrating thing is wearing you out, whether it's what's happening with the nation, the country, the government, whether it's the the changes at work, at school, at church, whatever it is, I cannot promise you that things will get back to the normal that you want. And I cannot promise you that that things will change and things will, will at least in some way look like the way you want them to look. I can't promise you that God's going to explain any answers to you about anything that's bothering you today. But I can promise you this, that in and through Jesus Christ, there is one thing that cannot change. One thing that you cannot deny even if you try. And that's this. God is faithful. And his faithfulness is great. It's great. So what does that look like in real life? I was reading something by John Piper recently, and it just super encouraged my heart and my mind. And and I hope it will help you too. It's a, a story about a day in his life 20 years ago. I want to read some of it to you. I'd flown to Greenville, South Carolina to visit my stepmother and to help my father make some adjustments to living alone after she had moved into a nursing home. When my visit was over, I left his house with enough time to drive by some of the places where I grew up. If you know anything about Greenville, some of these things might strike a chord. Just beyond the old Coca-Cola bottling plant, boarded up now, was the office where my mother, my mother sent me to a dermatologist because I had acne so bad in high school. Listen to this. He would burn me with a lamp, then rub dry ice on my skin, and then poke me until I looked like a boxer. Bless his heart. 
And I thought as I drove by that place, it was a mercy. It cut me off the fast track of popularity in girls and made me look to God for help and hope. It was hard and it was good. He kept driving. I drove through what once called the black section. And I remember with shame my own participation in racist attitudes and behaviors. I felt shame again. But then I thought about the path where God has led me until today. And all I see is mercy. I have sinned. And God has had mercy. And he kept driving. I drove by Billy Shaughnessy's house. And I looked at that front yard where we used to play tackle football. And I recalled that Saturday morning when we tackled Billy and broke his neck. But after weeks in a brace, there was no paralysis. And I thank God for his mercies, not mainly that I have not been killed or seriously injured, but that I have never killed anyone else or injured them permanently. That, too, is a great mercy from God. And he kept driving. Two blocks later, I parked in front of the house where I grew up. 122 Bradley Boulevard. I got out so the smells would mingle with the sights. My mother and father designed and built the house in 1951. I was six when we moved in. I grew up there and all my childhood and teenage memories are there. I don't know who lives there now. I didn't have time to ask. I just looked. The blue spruce is gone. Crab apple tree is gone. The shrubs are all different. But the dogwood tree is still there 48 years later. And I thought of all the lonely and happy days sitting out on the grass under it, looking over Delwood Valley to Piney Mountain and composing poems because that seemed to give some shape and meaning to my feelings. Oh, what a mercy from God that he met me there again and again and gave me hope. And he kept driving. Finally, I drove to the cemetery where my mother was buried in 1974 after being killed in a bus accident. I stood there alone and let myself have a good 54-year-old cry as I poured out my heart and thanks to God for his mercies to me in 28 years of faithful mothering. Yes, the loss at 28 was hard, but God was good. Oh, how many are the mercies of God in our lives, even in the hardest experiences. Remember, he was there because his stepmom had been moved to a nursing home. He was there to encourage his dad. His dad had been married to his stepmom at that time for 25 years after being married 36 years to Piper's mom. So, Piper's dad, who was an evangelist, was also a great example of loving faithfulness. But before he took his drive that day, he was standing on the back porch at his dad's house. And he was thinking some things to himself, and this is what he said. I thought to myself, my stepmother has left this house and will probably never live here again. Daddy is alone, and who knows when he'll move out or go to be with Jesus. Soon I will stand here for the last time, clear out the things that are his, and this 25-year chapter of life will be over and I will never enter this house again. And the question rose in my heart, almost like a cry of rebellion. Lord, is this all that life is? The accumulation of memories? The closing of one chapter after another? 
And as we move to the end of our lives, more and more life lies behind and less and less lies before so that the closing of every chapter becomes more and more painful? Or does this very ache in our heart, this reflex of rebellion against the closing of chapters, signify that we are made for something more? Made for something future. Made for something permanent. Is this immense longing in my heart to experience something precious and deep and true and beautiful and personal and satisfying that is permanent and not passing away? Is that longing just an evolutionary chemical development with no more personal significance than an upset stomach? And then God was faithful by His Spirit to answer those questions. And Piper said this, at that moment, standing on that porch, I rejoiced that God has made known to us in his word, the Bible, that we can belong to a kingdom and a family that is permanent when we've been there 10,000 years. And that not even death will separate us from him and from all those who trust him and that his mercies will be new every morning forever and ever and there will be no more sense of loss, no painful endings anymore. Dear Christian, maybe today what we need to do is take a drive. Maybe physically or maybe mentally just to remind our hearts that there is one non-negotiable and that is this, God is faithful and his faithfulness is great. It's great. But you won't believe that unless you can get this next part. This is what Jeremiah says next, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore, I have hope in him. I got to say, I think it's a little funny that he said his soul said this. Because if we're honest, our mouths don't always say it. (laughs) Our mouths don't always say, hey, I I hope in God. We want to sing old hymns about hoping in God. And and we want to sing new worship songs about hoping in God. And and we want a a Hope in God t-shirt. And we want to have a a Magnolia-style room at our house with great wall designs and pictures that say hope in God. But when the test comes back from the teacher, when the results come back from the election, when the team comes back and scores against us, When the doctor comes back into the family room with an update, our mouths don't always say that we hope in God. That is why it's so necessary for our souls to say to us, the Lord is your portion. We need it in our souls because our mouths won't always say it. What does that mean, the Lord is our portion? I was reading something this week about how this word portion is a little hard to translate because of some of the Levitical language there. And so I'm really thankful to Derek Thomas for how he defined it. The Lord is our portion means this. God is everything to me. God is my life. God is my all. I can understand that. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my everything. The Lord is my life. The Lord is my all. 
If you can get that math right, everything else that you have will be found in that. You'll have everything that you need. But if you get that math wrong, you're setting yourself up for difficulty. How? If your spouse is your portion, if your kids are your portion, if your parents are your portion, if your grandparents are your portion, if your grandkids are your portion, if your doctor is your portion, if your investment banker is your portion, if the Tigers or the Gamecocks or the Bulldogs or the Republicans or the Democrats are your portion, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Why? Because none of those people are 100% faithful 100% of the time. None of them. Does that mean that none of those people matter? Not at all. Look, we need to love our family. We need to love our friends. You need to support your doctor and your banker and your team and your candidate. But when it comes to what our soul needs the most, when it comes to what our souls desire the most, there's only one person who is perfectly faithful. There's only one person that needs to be your portion for life and your portion for death. Actually, there's only one person that must be your portion for life and your portion for death. Carrie Instrom's father died of cancer in March of 1999 at the age of 89. Not long before he died, he wrote a letter to his grandson, Jeff. Carrie gave that letter to her pastor, Ray Pritchard, and, and Ray shared a part of that in a sermon one time, and I just want to read a portion of that letter. While I have difficulty with breathing if I try to move about, I feel fine and have no pain if I sit still and behave myself. We are so thankful to the Lord as we look back and see how he has led us to make decisions to do things and make moves that have prepared us for these times that he knew were ahead of us. So each day, he gives a fresh taste of his love as he provides. In other words, he's faithful. And then he says this, We hear from your dad that things are going well for you folks and that you plan to break ground on your new home in the spring. We are so glad for you. I am looking forward to a new home too. It is paid for and debt-free, and there will be no maintenance expenses because it is going to last forever. Jesus told his disciples when he was here on earth that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be also. I have believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus as my Savior most of my life. And then he wrote this. It has been such a joy to rejoice with him in the high, smooth times of my life, and to be assured and experience that he was there and helped me in the valleys and rough places. In other words, the Lord was his portion. The Lord was his everything. The Lord was his life. The Lord was his all. The Lord, in his words, the Lord was there. And the Lord was faithful. God is 100% faithful 100% of the time and he's the only one. And so my hope for you, my prayer for you is that the one true 
holy, majestic, sovereign God, Jehovah, is your hope for your future.